and welcome to Pen to Print, Insider Tips with Creative Media Agency, the podcast where we unravel a few of the mysteries of publishing. Whether you're a new author looking to break into the industry or a seasoned professional seeking deeper insight into the community, we're here to bring you advice, information, and just enough insight to help. and welcome back to Pen to Print. I'm sitting down with Paige Wheeler today and we're going to do a little Q&A episode. Hi Paige, how are you doing? Hey Megan, I'm doing well. How about you? Good. I'm excited to get into some of these questions. So the first one I have for you is, what is one novel that ignited your love of reading at a young age? I don't have one. Um, I think my love of reading the journey for my love of reading is really, interestingly enough, dependent on distribution systems. And that's going to sound like an odd response, but you have to understand that I was an avid reader, but my mother wasn't. So to get my hands on a book as a younger person was really dependent on um, my transportation because we didn't have libraries nearby. So I started off reading those little golden books. I don't know if you remember those oh, that yeah. were prevalent in, yeah, they were prevalent in grocery stores. So I would sit in that shopping cart as a a young girl and my mother would push it around. And of course she would um, push it by the aisle that had books and I would grab a little golden book. And from there, it sort of spiraled into Stuart Little, uh, Charlotte's mm-hmm. Web, a Wrinkle in Time, uh, My Mysteries. I love Trixie Belden. I wasn't an Anchi Drew person. I was a Trixie Belden person. I had every book in the series. And then Judy Bloom as I got a little bit older. Um, and then Alistair McLean. I, I really, in my, <clears throat> I guess you'd call it the junior high stage, was really delving into genres and um, whatever my school library had. But again, you know, if someone who didn't have a car, you really had to be dependent on what the drugstores or grocery stores carried. So I think in many ways, the way I developed a little more commercial aspect to my reading taste was based on the availability of books to me. Um, And I think that is important to state, especially nowadays when, um, a lot of people don't have access to a library or a bookstore. So then their access is either by online purchasing um, book club subscriptions, or if they're a younger person, where their parents shop. As an adult, um, I have kids. So uh, in those younger days, we were taking them to Costco. And the first stop we would do would be the book section and give the child a book, give my daughter or my son a book, and then do our shopping and as we were shopping, they would read the book. Um, and I find it's interesting to see how the circle has happened again with <laughs> exposing them to material while you get your errands done. But um, that's sort of my my journey into reading. And then what I represent is kind of shaped on distribution and what's available. That's so interesting. I feel like when people think of like, oh, young readers, they think of like the school library or the like local bookstore. So it's really interesting to dive into how important it is to have books at other places. 
Correct. Yes. I think having those books in places where, particularly if you're a younger person and you're just getting into reading, to make it really accessible so you can choose what you want and you can have it at the time that you need it, as opposed to be wholly dependent on the school system providing it or your proximity to a library. I'm glad we're discussing that. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have like an all-time favorite children's book that you were really excited to share with your own children? Well, right now we are in the middle of reading Charlotte's Web. Um, I have a second grader. And so she's getting totally immersed in the life of Fern and Wilbur and Charlotte uh, and the whole, uh, the whole barn of animals. Um, And I just love having her excited to explore these characters and understand this story. And then interestingly enough, because I I have a feeling this question will come up later, we also have had her watch the Charlotte's Web adaptation to film, which has been, it's been a fun experience too. And so she's comparing the book to film. Do you have any favorite book to film adaptations? Well, not children's books, actually, (laughs) but... (laughs) Um, this is one, you know, when people talk to book to film adaptation, I don't know if this one springs to mind automatically, but for some reason I was blown away with Sense and Sensibility, great classic novel, right? But the 1995 Mm -hmm. adaptation with Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, Alan Rickman, Kate Winslet, I couldn't stop thinking about it. For me, it just was such a wonderful adaptation that it made me appreciate that book all over again. So when you watch a book to film adaptation, do you prefer the film to try and hit like every single critical piece of the book? Or are you more interested in capturing the atmosphere and the magic that the book had in the film? That's interesting. I think book to film adaptations are interesting for how the director envisions that story but they want to put their own personal stamp on it, which can really bring it in a new direction, depending on the person who's doing the adaptation. You see some, um, for example, Tim Burton projects that have gone very dark, of course. Mm -hmm. You see things that are looked at in a new way from the original, and that can be from many different director's viewpoints. And so that job as a creator, I have to appreciate because they're putting their creative stamp on something that an author wrote. And often, an author may not appreciate how the direction is being taken because it's it veers so dramatically from their intent. Um, but that collaboration, um, I think, is important because we as readers will often read the material and the author may have a certain point of view or instinct of a story they're trying to tell, but we may um, process it differently than the Mm -hmm. author's intent. And I think visually through film, that's really uh, a greater example of how that's done. Um, I know a lot of authors just have to have that book-to-film deal or book-to-television deal done and then walk away because sometimes a story that is taken on doesn't even resemble their intentions and that can be difficult to process. 
So it can be a cautionary tale of, hey, it's great that your book has been made into a film, but realize that it's going to take on a life of its own. And you worked as a film agent for a while, correct? I did. It was mostly television, though. Um, I worked for a company called Artists Agency, and I represented writers, producers, and on-camera celebrities, and one director. <laughs> and that was a, <laughs> and that was an interesting process, very different from the book field, but in- interestingly um, similar in terms of creative vision. Um, the writers I represented were uh, writers for mostly commercial type of um, products. For example, I represented soap opera writers, but also writers for after-school specials. So uh, very different things. Um, Producers, mostly for television, and then the on-camera celebrities. And so those two worlds, I think when you're looking at material, you often look, or I often look, for those high concepts, those storylines that are unique, but are also connective within the culture, connective within the country that we can all relate to, very relatable storylines or enlightening storylines. Uh, a project I work on, worked on that um, did win um, an Emmy was an ABC after-school special about the AIDS epidemic. And so uh, I think we were really, really proud of that, that to get that story out there and mm-hmm potentially bring this subject matter to light uh, to the audience in which it was targeted. Yeah. And that's such a crucial thing to be bringing to public awareness. So how else can a book stand out if there's like already so many stories that have been published and so many great ideas that are out there? That's a great question because a lot of people think that there are only seven great ideas out there, right? That there's only so many different storylines that you can approach. But I think that the way a story is told is like everyone's life. There's always a unique twist. There's always your own individual stamp you can put on it. The first thing, though, for a story to really grab me, if it's something that sounds familiar, is voice. If a a project comes into me that has a really strong voice, even though that storyline may be a little familiar, I immediately perk up. Because as much as as agents, and even on the editorial side, you can give suggestions of how to perhaps change some plot points or settings or even character motivation, that voice that comes through in writing, that's very hard to tell an author how to do. Um, It just takes practice. But a a great voice will kind of grab you by by the throat and not let go. So for authors who are still trying to establish their voice, what advice would you give them? I would say just practice, practice, practice. I mean, I would read and read widely and recognize when you sense material with a very strong voice and what makes it strong is um, something that I would suggest to an author. But going back to your question about what a a book makes a book stand out in addition to voice, I think having a unique point of view um, is also interesting. For example, like in historical fiction, there's been a trend with telling a story that we may be familiar with, but from a, a minor character or a secondary character of something that may be 
took place, right? Mm -hmm. From a midwife's perspective or an assistant's perspective or the cook's perspective or whatever it may be. Um, Maybe not the historical character that we're all familiar with. I think that's an intriguing way to approach work. Also, um, plotting, of course, taking the plot in a different direction than what most people do. That's another way to really make something stand out. Along with, of course, wonderful characters, great setting, and then writing that is really top-notch. So what advice would you have for authors who are beginning the process of sending out their queries? I think do your homework is probably the best advice most agents would give uh, authors. And for do your homework, um, that means not only who you're targeting to send your material to, but also your material itself. Do you know the genre? Do you know the comp titles that are out there? If it's within the guidelines of other works of a similar genre. So doing your homework, both on your own material, as well as who you want to send it to is key. Um, If you target certain agents, make sure they acquire that material. And sometimes when I say you're doing your homework, not only is it material that that agent represents, but maybe an agent is looking to branch out into material that they've never represented before, but they're looking to try something new. So if you're doing your homework and maybe reading up on manuscript wish list or the website or have listened to a podcast like this, you can say, all right, this is a little bit different than what the agent normally represents, but they're looking to branch into a new direction. Why don't I jump on board and maybe be one of the first submissions for this new area that they're looking to uh, represent. Also, I think it's important that authors difficult to do, but develop a thick skin. This is not an easy business. So rejection is part of the process. Um, It's important that authors realize that agents are not rejecting them. They're just rejecting the material. And most agents will welcome a future submission of new material. We are expecting authors to grow with every project that they tackle. So we want to see some growth there. Um, If the first couple projects keep getting passed by, maybe it'll be that third or fourth where the authors hit their stride. So developing a thick skin for those rejections um, is important, but even throughout the whole process, Um, realizing that there are a lot of potential pitfalls and, of course, moments of happiness. But there can be uh, pitfalls where you lose your editor or your book is rescheduled or an imprint closes or whatever the case may be. Just be prepared for that. Um, And that kind of goes back to my other piece of, of advice that this is a marathon, not a sprint. So sort of having that long view is really important for authors. Um, And be prepared to work on another project. If this particular project that they're working on doesn't get picked up, um, be ready. Hopefully authors don't just have one idea and that's it, that there's a couple of different ideas in the pipeline. So be prepared to tackle that next one if for some reason that first project that they're submitting gets rejected. Um, And I think going back to working on multiple projects, it's terrific if an author has a good critique group. 
um, to give feedback on the project, but maybe even to give feedback on their query process. It's always wonderful to have others take a look at your query letter um, and in the sample pages to see if it's up to snuff or perhaps the uh, authors who's submitting is missing something. So being able to share your work with smart, informed um, colleagues is, is terrific. Yeah, that sounds like really helpful advice in all the different areas of sending out your query and facing rejection and trying to recover from that. So I know that publishing, there are certain trends uh, that occur. So sometimes an editor might be acquiring a specific trope or a specific type of writing, and sometimes they're completely saturated with that, which can also contribute to why your work might be rejected. So how do you feel like pop culture influences publishing? Well, I feel that publishing is part of pop culture. So when you talk about pop culture, you are talking about books that are out there as well as movies and what's on social media, television, etc. But hopefully... As an agency, we don't follow trends, but lead them, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, although we do need to be aware of what's happening. And we look for these pop culture trends um, to see if editors are looking to jump on that bandwagon. Again, I know books have been known to lead some of these pop culture trends, but also authors are incorporating these into our in their writing. Everything from subject matter and plot to even um, in their narrative, talking about influencers, or if you're nonfiction, representing an influencer, um, talking about, for example, I've been talking about how I'm addicted to K-dramas. So um, <laughs> these Korean dramas, I'm, I'm looking at references or books that are focused on or whatever the case may be. Um, it could be in a, a year I'm, I'm jumping to something else. Um, editors may be looking at something else that they're currently acquiring. Ultimately, though, when I'm looking at material that I want to represent, an author may be following a trend in terms of their subject matter, but hopefully three to five books later, they won't still be stuck on that trend. They can pivot. They can continue to have interests, continue to write about things that they feel needs to be discussed in a larger audience. Yeah, so there's the balance of being aware of trends, but not letting them control or dictate what you're writing. Exactly. So you had mentioned earlier that agents will expand what they're looking for, or maybe they'll start looking for something new. Is there anything new that you're looking to acquire? Yeah, I've been focused on predominantly fiction for quite a while, and I've started to open up to more nonfiction, as well as the fiction that I'm known for. So I am very excited to read nonfiction book proposals on everything from self-help, business, um, practical nonfiction, narrative nonfiction, and very few, but a few memoirs um, that are transformative in their perspective. So yeah, I think... Doing this for an agent is exciting because we sort of dictate the realm in which we're working, and it's great to become uh, sort of an expert in your field or deeply knowledgeable about an area in which you represent work. But after a while, if you open 
a door to a new area, it makes it exciting again. And I think that's the one of the wonderful things about what we do is that we're able to bring in new ideas and new projects that are constantly keeping us inspired and informed about the marketplace. And uh, I'm excited about this, uh, these new projects that are coming in. I think it's going to be really exciting and a lot of fun. I did quite a bit of nonfiction previously. And my fiction just took off. So I'm excited to have a little bit more of uh, an even number of projects between my fiction and nonfiction. So I would be open to um, any individual who has a project with a great platform and something unique to say um, to query me. And the nonfiction querying process is a bit different, correct? It is. Um, as I mentioned before, platform is still king and always has been king as long as I've been in publishing. Um, but also the something new to say is also really important. So when somebody is sending a query for a nonfiction project, it's important. I would even say it's imperative to mention the platform, the strength of the platform, even give numbers behind your presence, whether it is um, someone who does a lot of in-person speaking and has speaking engagements, give me those numbers of how many speaking engagements, how many people um, attend those speaking engagements. If they're not in person, they're a Zoom and you have those numbers, that's great. If it's an influencer, I need to know some numbers. If they're on multiple social media please list the social media that this person is on, as well as any numbers that we have that may be relevant. Um, if this person is a syndicated columnist or has a blog, anything that I can, I can consider to understand more about the platform that the person has is helpful. And then of course, what is the unique idea? Um, then if I'm interested, what I do is I ask for a nonfiction book proposal. And the nonfiction book proposal, um, you know, it's not a manuscript, but it's actually sort of a blueprint of what the book is going to look like and why the author is the perfect person to write the book, as well as the marketplace for it. What is the market for this particular book? How many people are interested in this? How how is the how is what is the best way actually to reach this market? Um, and even a chapter by chapter outline of what's going to be in the book. And then a couple sample chapters. Fiction for a debut author, um, usually the author has to have the complete manuscript written. But for nonfiction, the author has to have a really dynamite nonfiction book proposal, as well as a couple of sample chapters. So if an author who's querying a nonfiction work continues to receive those rejections, a good place for them to look would be their platform and trying to build that up. Absolutely. That's usually the reason why most agents reject a nonfiction author, which is funny because usually an author is trying to get a book to help build their platform. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic there, but um you know, if a publisher is going to get behind an author, they need to know that an author has a way to reach their audience and has that um, either 
brand name or connection to the audience to get to get that message across. So my last question for you is, are you currently working on any projects or any projects coming out soon that you're particularly excited about? I'm excited about all the projects that I have coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have one in particular, um, but I think I there are a lot of great projects in the pipeline. And I'm looking forward to, uh, we're scheduled into 2024 and I think some 2025 publications. So we have a lot of projects that have yet to be scheduled. I think we're looking at about 15 books that haven't been scheduled yet. But our 2022 was pretty robust. 2023, um, you know, and this is so interesting how the pandemic impacts publishing timelines, right? Because if mm-hmm. we weren't selling as much uh, in 2020, you can see that in the 2022, 2023, 2024 publication schedule. Um, so it's interesting, but we're definitely have some great projects coming down the pipeline from some of our brand authors, which is great. And uh, I think we have a couple of debut projects, especially from um our associates here, which is also exciting. And then of course, we're looking for some very talented newcomers to uh, land in our inbox so we can take them through the process and have them appear on our pub schedule. Well, that all sounds so exciting. All right. Well, thank you for sitting down with me today. I had a great time. Thanks, Megan, for taking the time and asking such terrific questions. Thanks for joining us today on Pen to Print, Insider Tips with Creative Media Agency. To learn more about Creative Media Agency, our team, and our agenting mission, visit us at cmalit.com. Have a question we haven't covered in our conversations? Email us at assistant at cmalit.com, and you may hear the answer featured on the show. And don't forget to take a look at our show notes for more information and resources. Until next time... We hope you feel inspired to take your story from pen all the way to print.